Hey, Starburns listeners, Ben Schwartz here, and I'm here to plug. Here I go. I am in a new movie with Noel Wells on Netflix. It is called Happy Anniversary. It is out right now. You All you have to do is basically go on your computer or whatever device you want. You just click on it, and there we are. It's, it's me. It's Noel Wells, and it's the story of a couple on their three-year anniversary. They wake up, and on that moment, Noel's character is done. She feels like she doesn't think she can take any more of the relationship. And throughout the course of the movie, which takes place in over the course of 24 hours, you flash back to all the good, the bad everything that encompasses this relationship to try to find out if these two actually will stay together or if they won't stay together. It's right now. It is a romantic comedy. Me and Noel Wells, written, directed by Jared Stern. Netflix, happy anniversary. Starburns, lots of words, ending with exclamation. When's it going to end? It just did. Another tag. And now it's done. It's the Starburns Industries Tape of the Month Club. 12 original cassette tapes delivered to your door. Each month, you'll receive a crisp new cassette tape of auditory delights made by some of the most funky and creative artists around. Featuring Dino Stamatopoulos, Natalie Palamides, Johnny Pemberton, Dan Harmon, future ladies of wrestling, Alan Resnick and Dina Kelberman, Dynasty Handbag, Jeff B. Davis, Rob Schraub, Lance Bangs, DJ Doug Pound, Cron, Open Mike Eagle, Ron Lynch, and on and on and on. Subscribe now. $13 gets you a crisp, unique tape in the mail each month. For $20, you receive a portable cassette player so you can listen to your tapes on the go. Here's how to order. For credit card customers, please call 747-888-0945. That's 747-888-0945. Or save COD charges and log onto the World Wide Web at d.rip forward slash sbi dash press. It's a good deal. You know what time it is, don't you? That's right, it's Drinky Fun Time, where we drink booze with some of the most interesting people at the coolest places around. So grab a drink, chill out, and enjoy the show. That's right, we're chilling out, and I hope you enjoy the show. I'm Dan Dunn. Alongside Emma Patterson. Hi, Emma. Hello, hello. You, uh, you enjoying this where we're at right here today? Yeah. This is a cool spot. We're at uh, Gwen Butcher Shop and Restaurant, which is a world-class joint right in the heart of Hollywood, California. Yeah. Because we're Hollywood, aren't we? I feel very Hollywood today. I'm sat at this very plush restaurant, which is a delicious Chinese chicken salad. Oh, I feel much better spoiled. than I did when I walked in. You're spoiled. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to be joined by um, Fahara Zamorano, who is the sommelier here at Gwen, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about wine and um, <clears throat> excuse me, and pairing wine with food, which we could all use some knowledge. I, should, I could use some tips on that, and I think anybody that ever serves dinner could get some tips on that. So she's going to be with us in a couple of minutes. She's an expert. She knows what she's talking about. And speaking of experts... Uh, with us right now, uh, he is a chef, a restaurateur, an author, and an all-around good guy. He's appeared on a number of big shows, uh, Take Home Chef, Celebrity Apprentice, Top Chef Masters. He's been a mentor on the Food Network's All-Star Academy, and now he is currently hosting Movable Feast on PBS. And starting next month, you'll see him as a head judge on Top Chef Junior. 
It's kids cooking, Emma. Kids are cooking. Yeah. That's in October. I'm that starts. This and, and I'm going to say right now, he also makes the best meatballs I've ever had. Oh. Uh, and that's saying something. I grew up in an Italian family. Please give a warm, drinky, fun time welcome to Chef Curtis Stone. Curtis Stone! Yay! Well, thank you very much. The crowd's okay. going wild, as you can hear. They're going, please, folks, sit down. Sit Where down. is everybody? Yeah, there they are. So, I hear them, but I don't woo, see them. Man, they love you. <laughs> How are you, brother? Really good, mate. Good to see you. It's great to see you, too. And uh, you, see you got a glass of... Uh, a little bubbly in your hand. Yeah, a little rosé. Yeah, this is, uh, what do we got here? Fahara poured this for us, and she'll probably come out and talk to you about it. But this is a... That's not it. Watch me screw up French right here. Le Monde Bernier. It's a premier crew uh, champagne made entirely from Pinot Noir grapes. This is champagne? Yeah, bubbly. Oh, yeah. fabulous. Yeah. I've never had pink champagne. Oh, well, here you go. Cheers. You Cheers. Go. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So, Curtis, uh, you open Gwen... In 2016, correct? That's right, yeah. It's uh, just, just over a year old, actually. I opened it with my brother, um, which was a lot of fun, building, building the place, and here we are running it now. And this, is, this was on the heels of opening Maud, uh, which is over in Beverly Hills, right? So Right. Yeah, Maud's four years old now, so that's a tiny little 24-seat restaurant in Beverly Hills, and we do just a degustation menu down there. Um, and Gwen, you know, it's funny, in, in such a big city like LA, you'd think it'd be easy to find good protein. Um, but I've always struggled with it a little bit, you know, and I, I dreamt of opening a butcher shop where you could sort of create your own, uh, you, you're not complaining about a supplier, you become the supplier, you know. So um, here we bring in Wagyu beef from Australia and we bring in game from Scotland during game season and we age ducks in a dry age room and we age corn-fed beef and we age grass-fed beef and... Um, it's it's a fun restaurant because it's effectively a butcher shop. You walk into the butcher shop and then the restaurant is sort of a fine dining, meat-centric um, playground. And, and right now we're looking, so right behind us here is the, is kitchen, the kitchen, and it's wide open. And then what do you got? There's sort of an area right here where you're, where you, what, what's happening right here? Where every, everybody can see this when you're in the restaurant. Right, so we, the, whole ki- the whole front kitchen is uh, live fire. So what we do is we burn a few different fires. We've got a Josper which is a coal-burning oven, so we do all our vegetables in there. Uh, and then we have a brasero right here, which drops the... You can see that fire basket burning, and it drops the coals. Uh, we rake those coals underneath a grill, so we cook on a grill over direct wood-burning coals. And then the, the pit is actually um, what, what's called an acidor. It's basically a sunken circle. Uh, we light a fire in the middle of that, and then over that frame we hang big chunks of meat, so anything from pork belly to uh, short rib or, or um, you know, stuff that you want to smoke or, or cook slowly. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because you haven't, you've been open just over a year, but if you asked any foodies here in L.A., where are you going for meat in L.A.? It's already this place. When, when I mentioned this, people were coming out here to do a show. Oh, man, I heard it's the best place in Los Angeles for meat. Yeah, no, we, we take it really seriously. You know, I think if you, if you think about how you end up with a good steak on your plate, there's a variety of things that contribute to it. It's how that animal's been bred, you know, what breed is it, how it's been fed, um, how it was butchered and hung, and then how it was aged. And then, of course, 
the cooking of it, you know, but like there's there's four or five really important factors before you even put salt and pepper on that baby that will tell you whether it's going to be tender or have a funkiness to the flavor or it's going to be rich or it's going to be sort of have a minerality to it. So, you know, I think trying to hone in and work directly with those farmers to control some of that stuff is uh, is a way to do it. I have a question. Yeah. Where do you think my chicken was from today um, that I just ate? So we use heritage birds. Heritage uh, chickens are basically um, older breeds of chicken. So um, if you think about what's happened to the, the poultry production um, in this country, what we do is we, we think about the economics of it, right? So how quickly can we breed and slaughter that chicken? How big can we grow it? How big can its breast be in comparison with its legs? So it's, they're all sort of economic conversations. Um, that's not necessarily how to create the most flavorful chicken, you know, and we probably had way more, well, we certainly did have way more flavorful breeds of chicken, which we now refer to as heritage birds. Um, But they take a little longer, they're more expensive, and the breasts aren't as big, and, you know, there's there's substantial differences to it. So if you you felt like the flavor of um, your chicken salad that we do here at lunchtime uh, (laughs) was a little bit more intense, then that's, that's probably why. Well, so my chicken... Yep had a life i guess yeah she mauled around a lot and had a bit of time to herself and then she became my delicious lunch but the point being that you're saying that they're slightly older meat which is a good thing because then they taste taste different absolutely older breeds they do live longer as well um and they're outside reared so they scratch around in the in the grass and (laughs) look for worms and all the stuff that chickens are supposed to do um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing when you can get was, your hands on. It was an always an interesting thing when I when the the first the term free range chicken first got, started getting thrown around. I always remember thinking there must have been a fence somewhere on the free range if this thing ended up on my plate. You know what I mean? Like right. why isn't it just taking? Off? But, uh, <laughs> anyway, so you started cooking. You're from Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Am I saying it right? Because my my brother lived over there and he says Melbourne. Melbourne. Yeah, we say Melbourne. Melbourne. Okay, yeah. so Melbourne, Melbourne. You, you grew up there, <laughs> and you began cooking at the Savoy Hotel's five-star restaurant at the age of 18. Is that right? That's right, yeah. How, how, do, you, how do you get that gig at 18 years old? Uh, we have a different apprenticeship scheme over there. So you'd leave high school, and you'd go straight into the workforce as an apprentice. So, you know, in the States, you'd go and do all of your schooling at once, and then you'd w- enter the workforce. In Australia, you enter the workforce when you're 18, and you do one day a week of college. So you go to school for four or five years uh, just doing that one day a week. So you sort of, you, you're at school the same amount of time, um, but you actually learn um, the theory while you're able to put it into a bit of practice. But in is it now mm-hmm. as easy as that? Because I'm thinking about the Savoy. The Savoy is one of the most opulent gorgeous restaurants in London and then you have was it this Mar- is the, in Melbourne but, that's yeah, where, yeah, but when you right. came at 18 could you do that today could you just get at that kind of gig at 18 years old at the Savoy yeah, I, I don't know I mean I think you probably could to be fair you know I started working for Marco Pierre White in yeah. London and everyone says my god how'd you land that job and the truth is I walked into his restaurant and I asked for a job and he <gasps> happened to be there and he happened to fire someone that morning so he gave me a job um, but, you know, I get people come up to me regularly and say, are you hiring? And they kind of say it jokingly. And the answer is, in the restaurant business, we're always hiring. We're yeah. always looking for someone. might not be today. It might, you know, you come in and spend a day in the kitchen with us. And if you've got the right attitude, I think um, I think most chefs, if they're smart, they, they hire on attitude rather than experience. Because if you've got the right attitude, you can learn whatever that kitchen wants you to learn. And, um, you know, I, I think there are still some really 
amazing jobs out there without too much complication around it's them. It's really encouraging. It's certainly something we've spoken about in the past that now, you know, there's food networks and celebrity chefs are so many of them that it almost seems like the two go hand in hand, fame and cooking. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like people aren't just trying to be a chef anymore. They want to own a restaurant and be on television and be a judge. And, and I think that's fascinating. That it's yeah. weird, isn't it? It was, it was so uncool when I decided to be a chef. I was 18. I remember the first day I got dressed, I put on my gingham pants. <laughs> I tied my neckerchief. I put on my big tall boy hat. I had a white apron from top to bottom. How do they stay up? They <laughs> you got to like keep your head pretty straight. Yeah. It's like a what was the posture. idea behind those, by the way? What, where did that come from? God, I don't was know. There a about the tall, was there a practical white purpose to that hat? Or just, no. Okay. Not, I thought, not that I'm aware would, of. Who thought of that? I, you know. I, th- I think for every pleat, for every crease in the toque or in the hat, there's um, it tells you that for every pleat, there's a different way to cook an egg. Or there's, there's some funny old French story. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but, yeah, no, it never made much sense. So it wasn't cool, really. though. When you started, it, was, it wasn't this thing. Obviously, the, the notion that someday you were going to be on television, that wasn't, never entered your mind. I guess, no. When you first I mean, went into a kitchen. Yeah, it didn't exist. Yeah. You know, it was before, I mean, who, who were the, the big, I guess the big first real celebrity chef was Jamie Oliver. And Jamie well, Julia, Julia Child. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, in a way, it was still a different um, a different thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Was she a celebrity chef? Yeah, kind of. But, but she kind was... Kind of not, too. She was a lifestyle expert, I guess. Jamie made it more like you could be a real person and just, like, get stuck in. Right. And just try it. And you didn't have to... Like, Julia was... She'd written books by the time she was yeah, really famous. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, when you... Uh, so with something like this, now we've got this bubbly here... How much of your thought is involved with what the the drinks that are going to get paired? Because you have a you have a real you have a, over three hundred wines, I guess. Here we'll talk to Fahar about that shortly. But and then you have a really extensive cocktail program. How involved are you? Because I'm looking at this drinks menu right now, and it really looks delicious. How involved are you in the preparation of this so that it's going to work with the food on the menu? I drink them all. That's how involved I am. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I don't discriminate. I drink every single one. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, look, it's, it's a fun process, actually, to, to look at um, dishes that we create and then sit down with both Fahara and the wine team and also um, the guys in the bar uh, and ask them to, you know, either create something that works well with it or give me some inspiration. I'll create a dish around the, the drink. Um, it's, uh, it's a really fun process. So, yeah, we, we work really closely together. Okay. And uh, do you have a favorite here? Do you have a favorite uh, style of... What are you drinking? You're a beer guy, though, aren't you, kind of? Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I drink really girly drinks. Oh, you really? Know? What's Come a girly on, drink? Let's hear it. Well, the spritz. We <gasps> always, we I always have a spritz. I love a good spritz. Can we well, talk about yeah. the phenomenon of the spritz at the oh, moment? God, it feels like so last good. year that it was not on a menu, and now it's, it's everything. An Aperol spritz is, yeah, everybody's drinking. And I'm a, a big fan. Yeah. Yep. I, who doesn't love a spritz? Where does that right? come from? I Anyone mean, know? I think it's I think we it's it's the it's the fact that it's got a little bit of bite to it, but it's light and bubbly. It's really refreshing. You're never going to have a spritz and feel like shit. I'm this is weighing me down, or I'm you know it it it, it doesn't really ever disappoint. No, it's um it's uh it's a fun process. And watching the 
bartenders today compared with what they used to be like. You know, bar drinks were just uh, just drinks. You know, like just throw a few things together. And now we have a development kitchen upstairs, and the Jeremy and his team are in there creating all sorts of weird, wacky, wonderful syrups, and um, you know, not just garnishes. They actually are really putting a lot of cooking chops into the into the work they do, um, and they, you know, they produce a damn delicious drinks. It's so they taste so good that they. Um, you, you feel like it, it can't possibly be an alcoholic beverage. Can't possibly yeah. be bad for you. There's right. too much good stuff in it. Yeah, that's no, so good. How do you feel about people drinking cocktails while they eat? Would you prefer them to have keep them separate? Look, at, at, that's sort of that old school way of thinking, right? I, I remember uh, um, working for a particular chef that might have thrown someone out for ordering a second gin and tonic at, at the restaurant. But what? <laughs> uh, look, Go on. No, really? Well, I mean, oh, you know, he's look, a fiery one, that one. Wine works so well with food. Um, and, you know, I kind of feel like it's, um, it is sort of that perfect match made in heaven. But then truly, I look down at some of these cocktails. We have a big charcuterie program here. So we make a lot of um, spicy, smoky, funky sort of flavored um, cured meat products. And there's stuff that works so well. You know, that Manhattan um, that we do with smoked rhubarb balsamic and rye whiskey yeah. is unbelievable. The old fashioned That works is a really savory well. cocktail right there. Right. right? right. Yeah, so smoked rhubarb balsamic. Good yeah, lord. Delicious mm. stuff. It's good. Um, you got to come good. in and check out the bar here at Gwen. It's on Sunset. Yeah. Sunset. That's where all the cool kids are hanging out in LA. Sunset. Um, okay, I think that was a nice little segue on what we're going to do with food to bring in. Uh, our next guest, we should do this right now. She is a level three diploma certified sommelier, or maybe higher now. You still use their level three? There we go. Uh, and uh, with the International Sommelier Guild, she is great. She knows her wine. You've been working here with various groups here in Los Angeles for a while. We met years ago when I think you were working with the Bombay Hospitality Group, and now you're doing the wine program here at Gwen. Uh, let's again give another warm. Drinky fun time. Welcome to Fahara Zamorano. Welcome. Hi, thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Please, everybody calm down. Okay, so, um, Samar. Samar, oh my God. I'm now combining both of your names. Let me have some more of this wine. Fahara. Tell us a little bit about this wine, because I know I screwed it up. The one that we had in front of us, the bubbly in the beginning. Uh, that's a little Premier Cru Champagne uh, from Le Mandier Berny, which is a small grower producer. Grower producer just means it's the same guy that's growing the, the grapes that's actually making the wine, which is not a very common thing in Champagne. Most of yeah. the big houses uh, buy most of their grapes. And uh, so, yeah, very small production. And this is 100% Pinot Noir. So it's, it is a rosé champagne, but as you can see in the color, and I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, you can't see the color, but it's a very deep... I'm sorry they can't drink it. It's, that's, that's, what that's what they're it's really sorry about, too, yeah. For a, for a rosé, let's call it a rosé. It's dark, isn't it? It's like an orangey red. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's very deep in color, and then when you when you sip it, it drinks. It doesn't drink necessarily what the perception of a rosé champagne is, which is, you know, this really light, almost poolside cabana drink. Uh, it, it's a it's very much a food drink. It's got savory qualities. It's got structure. It's got tannin. Can I also just come? I know nothing about this, by the way, but the bubbles are absolutely tiny. They are teeny, teeny, <laughs> teeny, tiny. They remind me of the termite poops I've got at home at the moment. No, they're smaller than that, actually. The point being, these are really small. Smaller oh, than termite poops. Didn't mean yeah. to bring up termite poop. <laughs> and now I don't ever want to drink this again. 
bloody <laughs> damn um, What? How do you? So how do you what, d- describe the process of how you two collaborate when you're when you're coming up with the wines to put on the menu? How, how does that work? When a new dish is about to be developed, the main ingredients thoughts um, are basically what we focus on. Like, okay, we know it's going to be let's say tomato. We know it's going to be let's say it's a rhubarb. Um, let's say it's you know it's a protein. We know it's going to be um, pork, and let's talk about what parts of the animal and what the preparation is going to be. Ideas, rough ideas, right? So then that already gets uh, the the wine brains working onto okay from our previous experience, from our, our past experience, what works with those ingredients and with those preparations, and what does that okay. preparation do to the composition of the dish? So I think for any, I mean, I know. Is it quite kind of common to say right red wine with red meat, white with fish? But here we are with a sparkling pink champagne. Can we drink uh, this and eat at the same time? Is that encouraged with oh, a wine? Oh, absolutely. Like this? Uh, it's for some reason in our culture we have been taught that champagne is something you have pre and post. Uh, when actually, like it is a wine that just happens to have bubbles. I mean, sure. just like beer. Uh, you compare beer with different types of foods because there's different types of beer. So it's the same thing with sparkling wine. Um, and depending on the body and the and the flavor profiles, you can absolutely have them with with any part of your meal. Um, and, and, not, and not only can you pair the champagne with a variety of different things, you can bathe in it. So I've seen a photo of Fahara <gasps> bathing in the bathing champagne. Bathing in, in a champ- bath of champagne. You, t- you too? I do that. I, I do yeah. it regularly. How do you think I keep my skin so fresh and What vibrant? does that feel like? Champagne and goat milk. Tingly. Yeah. <laughs> If Curtis, when you're if you get a uh, we talked earlier about steak, you get a big thick steak. Yep. What do you what are you what are you doing with that wine wise? What do you want to drink with it? I mean, the way I sort of think of food and wine pairing, as it were, is the the wine is another ingredient in the dish in my mind, right? Because if it doesn't work in my dish, then it's not going to work sitting side by side with it either. And the idea is you have a mouthful of food, you have a sip of wine, you have a sip of wine, you have another mouthful of food. You know, so you want them to be somewhat complementary. Um, you know, so if you're going to cook steak, again, there's there's intricacies in steak. You know, you can cook grass-fed beef that's very minerally. You can cook wagyu beef, which is very fatty and rich. Those two different types of meat are going to want for a slightly different type of red wine. You know, so um, yes, you're right. Red wine, red meat is what people usually go to, and that's because. Big red wines tend to have a lot of pepper and blackberry notes and sort of rich tannins and that stuff works well with the, the structure and um, the big the big bold flavors of, of, of red meat. Yeah. Now, do you ever do you ever send out a dish and you see you see somebody a customer's eating this dish with a wine that in your mind is is so wrong for what? <laughs> do you ever does it bother you? you ever like no 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 no? Why no, are you drinking this with this? No, look, I think the tr- the truth behind it is there's no rules, and if it works for you, then it's working, and that's all that matters. You know, I mean, Absolutely. but maybe they don't know that it's maybe they don't right. know that it's really not working mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you want to break the rules yourself. You know, like you're sitting by the pool and you're you're drinking some rosé and it's feeling good and you're enjoying it, and then someone's serving steak and you don't necessarily want to go to a big. Um, red wine, so you just keep drinking it. You yeah, know, sure. I mean, it's not going to ruin the experience. That the reason that it probably wouldn't work as well per se is, you know, the steak is going to be big and rich, and it'll probably overpower the palate of the wine a little. So if you go back to the wine, you might not enjoy all of its um, all of its sort of floral qualities or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's um, where Fahara comes in 
yep. really that your job really is to sort of to try to steer people towards the wine that they're supposed to be, the wine that's really going to complement that dish, right? Absolutely. And um, not just the wines, our wines by the glass, but also the cocktail menu, going back to what you guys were speaking of earlier, is kind of set there to go with portions of the menu because there's it's a, it's a tasting menu that's offered as well as our a la carte. Um, but for the tasting menu, people really want to do pairings. You know, they want to they want to go yeah. with what what goes with this, what goes with that. Uh, but if you don't want to necessarily sign up for a pairing, or you want to just have cocktails throughout, we've kind of developed the menu so that the first half, even like I said with the cocktail menus, the first half is going to be lighter towards the beginning of the menu, and then as you get deeper in, it's going to be your meatier, more savory, richer uh, cocktails that you know go along with with that big wagyu, or you know your 90-day dry age. By the way, I'm smiling I as I as I look at you. Those are. Because you're sitting right, you have four uh, bottles of wine in front of you, and we want to get into those now. But also, the one wine that's looking right at me says, Love you, bunches. Yes, it does. Oh, <laughs> I feel like you're saying that to me because it's facing it, right yes, at me. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, can I Unintentionally have some of that? on can purpose. I have some of that? No, uh, yeah, that's I have a question, and yeah. this is gross. I don't know why I'm asking this, but I'm really fascinated. When I know some people will do this, I don't, but they might eat and have a sip of wine while the food is still in their mouth. I don't know whether that's something that is totally normal and everyone does it. I know I don't. But is it something that when you're learning and, and learning about food pairing, if you take into account, oh, a lot of people do that, like we wouldn't want them to be filling their mouth that's currently got chicken in it with this wine. Is that something you guys even talk about? Well, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, you taste you, you taste the dish, you taste the wine, you, t- you taste the dish, and you taste the wine. And the idea is that regardless whether you're taking a sip of the wine or having a bite of the dish, both components are being elevated or highlighted or complemented by each other, not like, oh, I really like this. I have a sip. Oh, that was really awkward. Next sip. Oh, now I like that. And then, you know. I'm just talking about in America because we're absolute gluttons. She's talking about people that are, as they're chewing, they're sipping their wine. But maybe yeah, it's not a gross it's, thing. They're maybe called that's the normal. soccer hooligans that you hang out with. Those they don't drink yes, wine. That's what they, that's they what that's, drink. They're not drinking but wine. But how does the food not fall out of their mouth? So this is, this is important. So we're going to go, we're going white. Now, what is this one you're. you're so this is a skin contact uh, white. Ooh, so it's, a, it's right. a white wine. But we're talking about grape skin. Obviously. Correct. Yes. Not human skins. Um, <laughs> no, it's the, it's the family of the wine. <laughs> well, no, this is, it's also known as the silence of the lamb's yeah, wine. Exactly, it's a skin exactly. wine. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, all right, let me try there. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. There we go. So this is one of those kind of grape varietals or styles, I should say, of wine that has become extremely popular, right? Ooh. You never used to see oh, yeah. orange wines. And nowadays you're seeing them more and more on the, on the lists. Did you, did you drink wine growing up? When, when, did did, you, yeah. when did you come to wine? I, young, actually. Yeah, really? in Australia, we, we break all the rules. As you know, we're a country full of convicts. And, um, you know, we can start drinking when we're 18. So just like in America, you can start when you're 21. You really probably start when you're 18. Yeah. We start when we're more like our 15, 16-year-old. Sure. That's mark, when I so. started, 15, 16. That's when everybody <laughs> in America starts, too, really. We're just, Same you know, thing in Chile. Getting yeah. a jump on you. Yeah, you're from Chile. Yeah, okay. but then you have less alcoholism because it wasn't like a taboo thing. Because it's not know? a ta- yeah. yeah here, exactly. it's, here it's way more of a taboo. You yeah, know? Uh, I got drunk with my mom the first time I ever got drunk. Yeah, it was I mean, great. I think I got drunk with your mom too. Yeah, really? exactly. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, That's how we first met. But see how that orange one has that little bit of funkiness. Yeah. It does. It really, it, yeah. it works so well with cured meats because what would we you also do if, just with that wine. What are you gonna? What, if somebody just 
you took a sip and said, what are you going to make? Well, we, I don't make anything. We just serve that with charcuterie. Oh, just with the charcuterie. Yeah, okay, prosciuttos yeah. and culatellos and anything with a little funkiness to it just works so beautifully with that. By funky, do you mean like salty? Yeah, like a savory, like umami, not necessarily a fruit component, mm-hmm. but more of like an earthy component. Oh. Even almost like a... A little slight pickle, like almost a little musty or yeah. pickly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The, the, the must was was definitely there. Right, right, which is when you think of charcuterie, you have mold growing on the outside of it yeah. for the oh. most part. So, you know, it's true. Didn't know, I didn't need to know it was actual mold. Now I know. Says the person who brought up termite poop earlier. Okay, yeah. they're very clean hey, termites. If you take it down to that level, we're going to start talking about mold. That's all I'm saying. So let's do Love You Bunches now. Yes. I want to get in here. And- so this is what I call a patio pounder. This is 100% Sangiovese. <laughs> a patio pounder. Yes. Meaning you're sitting outside and you're just drinking this thing all day. On a exactly. Day. Like yeah. it's 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 hot outside. It's been very hot. Uh, this oh, is a Sangiovese. Uh, but that goes through 100% carbonic oh, maceration. Oh, it's very light, isn't it? Exactly. Mm. So it's it's still mm. it's still the the body of a Sangiovese with the light and refreshness, and it's served and it's meant to be served chilled. Which you know we're, we're drinking this Sangiovese. While, while we're drinking this wine, I think we have to. Uh, we're gonna have to uh, play a game. We're gonna have to do something here. Uh, are you ready for this? Oh yeah. What do you think this is? Some kind of game. That's the sign that we're about to play the Drinky Fun Time Drinking Game. If ever three people were more ready. Yes, and here we go. Um, this, what we're playing for today, the stakes are very high. Uh, the winner gets to have uh, dinner here at Gwen uh, between the three of you. So if it's Emma, then we're coming in. So Emma, you got to win this thing. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> what? Are the Curtis prizes is I get to what? eat my own restaurant. Uh, by the way, I didn't know if you knew you were donating today's prize. So, no, I don't know. There is no prize other than just the, well, if, the pride if, that goes into winning the game. If we're open, I'm serving you and eating at the same time. That's, that's correct. Gonna yes. So a lot of uh, this effort. drinking game, there's a theme. To <laughs> and I'll be cooking my own dinner. <laughs> that's the prize. The theme I came up with is Your prize sucked, based on Curtis's home, uh, homeland. Uh, we need we need to have buzz in sounds. Emma, what's your buzz in today? Oh hello! Oh hello! Far, what's your buzz in today? Gonna meow. Be? All right, I like that. Curtis, what do you got? <laughs> meow. I like that. Um, oh, that's a that's, good one. That's All right, buzzing. okay, I like that. Here Could we be go. A duck. Could be a honk. Uh, question number one on the drinking game: the kangaroo and the emu are both marsupials. Oh, oh shit! What? Sorry, Curtis, Curtis Stone. Yes, they're both on our coat of arms. Is that your final answer? That's my final answer. That's why now? you let the question play out. Ah. Okay. Oh, yes, far. Marsupials? What's that? Marsupials. Is what? that your final answer? Yes. What's that was a the bird? Answer? Was it I can finish the question and then you might even be able to get it. I stand a damn The kangaroo chance. and the emu are both on the Australian coat of arms. Oh. What is it, and you can't answer the two of you, what is Shit. it that neither animal can physically do? Jump. Is that your final answer? <laughs> no, obviously not. <laughs> Kangaroos. Uh, swim. Curtis, you want to get one more shot? What can neither the emu nor the kangaroo do? Um, talk. <laughs> True. <laughs> and they can't swim either. Come on. Uh, they can't go backwards. 
Oh, I was going to go with push-ups go back. Yeah, and they can't do push-ups. I guess using that theory, there's lots of things that would be the correct answer, right? <laughs> they can't come to Gwen and eat dinner, for instance. Not allowed uh, in here, right? It's a uh, health code violation. Uh. All right. The world's most venomous sea creature is located in Australia. It's a, it's a venomous sea creature. What is it? Meow. Far. Jellyfish. Ooh. Is that your final answer? Yes. That's correct. Ah. The jellyfish. It's the box Blue ring. jellyfish. Oh, it's a box jellyfish. <laughs> wow. Box jellyfish. A couple. Box jellyfish. It's, no. a, uh, it's, it's got uh, tentacles with biological booby traps in them, tiny little darts with poison Ugh. that if they shoot them at you, cause paralysis, cardiac arrest, and even death. So yep. there you go. Thought Have you the seen this happen? Seen one of those in action? He's from Australia. He's seen all cooked. I've seen them. I haven't seen one kill anybody. Anyway. Well, if, if I'm not mistaken, all the crazy things that want to kill you live in West Australia. There's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of uh, venomous things in Australia. Mm. Next question. This one I think might even be too easy, but name the five largest cities in Australia. Ooh, hello. Emma. I can only think of two, but I'm going to try anyway. Sydney, Melbourne. Yes. Adelaide. Places. Yes, like that's three. And Two more. Brisbane. Um, <coughs> that's four. And the Perth. final one. Shit, this is Perth. 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 That Perth place. And look at that. Oh, you got it all on I your own. I feel bad now. I should let Chef do it. <laughs> I'm going to call you Chef now. So where are we at now? Everybody's got one? No, everybody's got... You're the only one that has one, right? I don't have no, one. I want, I want jellyfish. No, she got jellyfish. This is a game about Australia, and I haven't scored. Oh, you got jellyfish. All right, so it's 1-1. One, one. Come on, Emma. We gotta I never win. Dinner here. Uh, Australia's Aboriginal people have the have been the oldest continuous culture on Earth. They are believed to have arrived in Australia by boat. How many years ago? This is a multiple choice. Is it 30,000, 40,000, 50,000, or 60,000 years ago? Uh, Curtis Stone. They didn't arrive by boat. They walked. There was no <laughs> boats 40,000 years ago. Is, is 40,000 your answer? <laughs> uh, uh, sure. Oh, there we go. Anything else? 30,000. You didn't buzz 40, in. Oh, nope, you can't do that far. 60,000. She didn't buzz in either. I said meow meow. It was 50,000. <laughs> it was 50,000. So, all right, our final question. Curtis, you have to get this right. Show me a boat that was built 50,000 years ago. Choice. This is a multiple choice. Final question. Which of the following well-known people is not from Melbourne? Which of the following is not from Melbourne? Here we go. Melbourne. Melbourne. Steve Irwin. Kylie Minogue, Chris Hemsworth, Keith Urban, Rachel Griffiths. Oh, hello. Emma? Rachel? Curtis. Uh, Steve Irwin. Is that a yes or no? Far, you want to take a guess? Meow, meow. Yes? Chris Hemsworth. Man. The answer is Keith Urban. From oh, Sydney. Really? Oh, Singer God. Keith Urban married to... Nicole Kidman. Fellow Australian. Nicole, Nicole she, Kidman. Has Nicole Kidman been in here to eat? Do all uh, the Aussies no. come in here to eat? Wait, yeah, wait. a lot of them do, but yeah. she hasn't. How did Keith Urban get into country? It's a good question. He's from Sydney. Yeah. He should be a surfer. Oh, how did Taylor Swift get into country? She's from Philly. Yeah, yeah. but she's at least like... American. Yeah, American. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Oh, no, we have country. We have country. country, yeah. 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 It's it's like isn't that like in West Australia once again? Yeah. Yeah. The Outback. Yeah. So we can get right. one. If we can get one wine here to bring us home, which one's it going to be? 
Um, we got. We don't. We have not. Do you want us? Oh, we do two more. Let's do more. Let's do these. Right here we go. I for the peanut. Oh, I don't want to check this one. It's nice. Drink it. I mean, they're all nice, but this is. So we got an ale, ale, ale word. Elward, so that's their last name. That's the family last name. The winery name is Ocean 8, uh, and okay. this is an Australian Pinot Noir. All right. Oh. It's about time we got some Australian stuff in here. Oh, it's the same color as your dress did. From Mornington Peninsula, which is uh, about an hour, hour and a half outside of Melbourne. Do you have a rule, no. Curtis, a certain number of Australian wines that need to be on the list? Do you, do you no, not at all. Not we, at you all. know, Fahara has a real passion for that Santa Barbara region, Central Coast. And Australia. And, and Australia, yeah, yeah. And Australian wine. Wine so Australia we, and I are tight. We, uh, we probably focus on those two, you know, great, you know, those two wines more than others. But we have a lot of French wines. We have German and Austrian. And, yeah, we, we have all sorts of stuff. You don't, you, you're not big, are you a fan of the big Napa cabs? Or oh, yeah. No, you know the thing with Cabernets that in the style of Napa, which is a big, you know, they, they make their, their Cabernets big up there. Um, it's hard to drink them too young. Exactly. That's the truth. That you yeah. should really drink you them 15 them, years yeah, old. Yeah, 15, 20 years, and they're incredible. Yeah. They're incredible wines. I mean, the same thing with Bordeaux. Like, we're not drinking current release Bordeaux, but for some reason we're drinking current release Napa. I think it's just a What's the most expensive thing. wine on the menu here? On the list here? Yeah. It's, it's a tie, basically, or very close. Uh, there's a Napa Cabernet. Uh, there's an Australian Shiraz. And uh, there is a Bordeaux. And how much? They're around $1,500. $1,500? Yeah. That's not bad. No. I'll give you twelve hundred right now, <laughs> cash. Do we get to drink it right now? <laughs> right now, I wish. I was going to say, have you been in a situation where you've got maybe a big group of people that had a lot to drink, and suddenly it's just a fabulous idea at the end of the night to order that bottle, and you know, as a pro, they're not going to enjoy it because they've had all this other wine before. Do you, would you ever step in and go? Yeah, oh. that hap- actually that happened the other like a couple of weeks ago uh, with a bottle of dessert wine. That's a very expensive bottle of dessert wine. Um, and I knew that they really appreciated the wine and knew what it was. But at that moment in the meal, they probably couldn't taste it or wouldn't appreciate it as much as they would perhaps the next night. And it is a 750. So I just cord event it. So then they got to taste it all. And then Aww. the cork was still there. So then they took it home. That's and then, lovely. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gotten somebody who said a wine was corked and it's not corked? You know it's not corked, but they insist it's corked and it's an expensive wine. What do you do in that situation? So she brings it to me. I drink the wine. It has nothing <laughs> wrong with it. And then we just open them what they'd like. That's it. Yeah, basically. Right. Oh, this is good. All right. We've got to do one more, and then we're, we're getting out of here because yeah. the chef's got to cook. You guys got dinner coming up here. Mm, that was good for Let's her. Do, I like oh, that. That was delicious. Yeah, and that's Ale Word yeah. by, by Ocean 8 Pinot Noir. If you, you want to get that at home, find we'll that anywhere else. You can't find it anywhere here. Of the, well, so the 2010 vintage, at least. So we, you have to come to Gwen. We bought all that. of it. And I, I recommend it, don't you, Emma? I, I love this place. One of my favorite rooms. It's a re- Curtis, the design of this room mm. kind of reminds me a little bit of an old train station in a way. You know, like yeah, it, it does. Right? Yeah. Not. I mean, it's, uh, how would you describe this? I mean, when I started the design, I, I sort of sat with the, the guys that designed it, two brothers out of Brooklyn. Um, Home studio, they're called the the Hassel Graves, Evan and Oliver. Um, great guys. Hello, they, Evan and Oliver. Hello, Evan. Hello, Oliver. Um, <laughs> Those guys. A bit and of a tongue twister. We uh, we sat down and I was like, we're in the middle of Hollywood. This is a hundred year old building. They're hard to come by in Hollywood, and I want it to feel a little old Hollywood, maybe a bit of a nod to sort of an Art Deco-y kind of a, a vibe. And you know, I think that they've done 
um, a really beautiful job. It feels kind of timeless and it's uh, it's relaxed enough to have a lot of fun in. I wanted a restaurant to feel like you didn't have to sit up straight all night long. You could relax and enjoy it and sort of... Yeah, it's it's really a delightful room. And, it, and it, it's, it's, it's spacious, but at the same time feels cozy. Right. Curtis, before we let you off the hook here, I want to ask you, I'm actually excited for this Top Chef Junior, right? Yeah. This is kids cooking. What was that experience like being being the head judge on that? Was do you have to? How do you balance the 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 uh, obligation to be a judge with not wanting to shatter? You mean with the nightmare of working with kids, children <laughs> that are cooking, right? Because it's not like you, you can't do it right. like on Real Top Chef, where you're, you know, yeah. The, the idea is to you know hammer it into them hammer, what they yeah. did wrong. What do you? How do you? How do you? How do you do that bel- that delicate balancing act between uh, saying it, you, you lost know, and... <laughs> it wasn't easy. I mean, I'm a dad, right? I've got yeah. two boys. They're Thank six, goodness, probably. Six and three. Yeah, you yeah. know, absolutely. Cause so you'd see these little faces looking at you, waiting for your description. And, you know, I'd just see my own kids in their <laughs> face. And it was, it was a challenge. But they were so into food. You know what was so cool about the show is on normal Top Chef, and I've done many seasons, Top Chef Masters as well, you give feedback, and the chef kind of stands there with his arms crossed or her arms crossed or hands on hips, and you can see they're like, oh, well, you don't know. You, you know, that's garbage. It was cooked perfectly or whatever. With these little kids, you give them feedback, and they just sit there like nodding their head, bright-eyed, and then the next time they cook, they correct the mistake. And that's what was so cool about it because they're like these sponges that just take on um, the, the – you know, we keep it very positive, but any kind of – you know – criticism or any kind of um, you know advice that you can give them to work on it we really saw a massive progression from when they started the show they were decent cooks yeah. you know when they finished they were really cooking excellent well, food isn't so, it probably cool. a big part of that too is that these kids aren't looking at this as though this is my shot at fame and fortune and money and all, all the things that come with succeeding on top chef as an adult these kids are looking at it like I'm getting to do this really cool thing that I love to do. Right. And one of my idols is telling me, giving me it, and, and they're actually taking it in as opposed to what people on Top Chef are probably hearing when you're doing that is, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you're ruining my life right now on television. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's pretty awesome because they sort of, you know, they, they really have aspirations to cook and be a chef and whatever. And to them, it's just this dream. And then they come into the Top Chef Junior Kitchen and we make it real. You know, like they stand there in their chef jackets and they're into it, man. It's really awesome. And th- we had all these incredible guests as, you know, people that they dreamt of meeting and then suddenly they're getting advice from and working side by side with. And the amount of jobs that got offered on that show, you know, we had these unbelievable chefs offering these little kids. When you turn 15 or 16, you come see me. <laughs> and they're going to hold you to that, and they're by like, the way. Yeah, yeah. One of these kids is going to show up here. You know that, right? i tell you what. I wish the labor laws were different in L.A. because some of these kids were good. I'd employ them in a heartbeat. <laughs> no kidding. Well, that's coming on in October, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, listen, uh, this has been a phenomenal experience at a, at a great place, Gwen, here in Los Angeles. Uh, I want to, uh, first of all, ask, so... Far, what do you? You're not doing any social media. People can't follow you anywhere. You can Fahara. All of my things are at Fahara. So F A H A R A. One of the best sommeliers you're ever going to meet, and she's right here at Gwen. And uh, Curtis Stone, you've got you've got the Movable Feast on PBS right now. You've got Top Chef Junior coming in on October. You got this restaurant. You got 
Well, you got Maud. What else you got? Anything else we need, we need to know about out there in the... Uh, in no, the that's it. That's, that's it. That's pretty full roster. Yeah. It's kind of a miracle you're even here cooking. When do you get... It's insane. I mean, how does he have time to cook? I love it. You know, you find time for things you love, and I love being in the restaurant. Wow. I like grinding it out. And, of course, follow us at Drinky Fun Time on the social media. Uh, Emma... Anything you want to add to this? I can't imagine, we, Dan. What would I add at this point? I don't know. Do you want anything about the wines you want to say? No, just that regular like segment I normally do that you've oh completely forgotten about. Oh, my goodness. It's all right. You've wrapped up, dear. I'm sorry. No, we'll add this. Every, every show you forget. From the Drinky Fun Time News Desk, here's Emma Patterson with Booze News. Yeah, you're in trouble, dude. All right. So, Booze News. We're going to edit it. By the way. We will edit this in before I say goodbye. No, we Go won't. Ahead. We're <laughs> keeping this in for the listeners so that they yeah. know what a shocker I, you are. I messed up. An ex-Tesla engineer created an FDA-compliant cure for hangovers, and this is not even a joke. Sison Lee created a hangover drink called Morning Recovery. It is available now. It's made from herbal compounds called DHM, which is basically Oriental Raisin Tree and Rattan Tea. I don't know if you know that, but it really works. It's a drink. Have you got any questions? Do you have some? What is it called? It's called Morning Recovery. Do you have any here? With me right now? No, dear. Morning recovery. We don't get hangovers. And you said it's a Tesla engineer. He is an ex-Tesla engineer. Now, here's the funny thing. He loved his job at Tesla, but his, his decision to pioneer this drink was stronger. So he left his job in Tesla and he got drunk every night for a long time, gained 15 pounds, decided he couldn't carry on with his own personal testing. So he encouraged people on Facebook to help him. Okay. And then... People on Facebook, 20,000 of them, were like, "Uh, we want your drink. It's brilliant. And so now he's been picked up by people like Shark Tank. People contact him. Real quick around the table, what's your favorite hangover cure? Bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Yeah. Farah? Uh, Avocado toast and champagne. Wow, look Ooh, at you, fancy. Damn. Emma? It's good. Chicken wings that. and a Bloody Mary. Chicken wings and Bloody Mary? Bloody Mary's up there, too, after mm. the champagne. Um, I like a raw egg. I mix it up, oh, swallow it down. That's you what I do. No, that's what I do. It's like Rocky. And then he runs upstairs sweating. Farah Zamorano. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah, Zamorano. Zamorano. Curtis Stone, Gwen, Drinky Fun Time. It was great being here, and we can't wait to come back again. And that's the end of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for Thank being you so here. Much. Thank you. So fun. Yeah. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. He's Like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. <laughs> he literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich... I don't know what you want from me. And uh, my, and my a... girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my, 